This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Mephisto by Capsize 7. This podcast runs. Are you playing a piccolo snare, Jay? Yeah, but I think that's way deeper than the piccolo snare is. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Jason Ziak. Jay, prior to the show, we were discussing the upcoming Hunger Games movie. Mm, are, uh, yep. are you looking forward to it? I'll, I'll watch it. I don't... I'm not get, getting all crazy. As I think you said before we started, I don't have a have a woman boner over it. No lady boner? No lady... Oh, sorry. Lady boner. It seems to be appealing to the women in the same way that uh, Twilight does. So. Yeah, very odd. I don't know. It looks okay. It, not, we'll not see. Losing my mind. Or Depends anything. on how good the kills are. That's how. That's how uh, I'll judge it. <laughs> Depends how graphically the the children kill each other. Right. I mean, if you're teasing me with the possibility of children killing each other in sport, you better make it good. I, you know, I don't want some namby pamby, you know, bloodless A team on TV. Uh, people, you know, you never really see them getting killed. They just kind of get crushed under something. I want to see, I want to see entrails. Whoa! I want to see, uh, I want to see uh, guys getting disemboweled and their and their intestines being used for a jump rope. Uh, I think that's for a wrong movie, but am hey, I thinking of Saw? Whatever you're, I don't know. Whatever you're into, man. <laughs> Jesus. I might edit this all out. I might just go. And now the review. Might be a good idea. Um, there's no good way to segue into tonight's review, so I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. We uh, we actually have a uh, kind of an obscure band tonight. We're reviewing Capsize Seven. Jay, were you familiar with the band Capsize Seven prior to this evening's show? I mean, I, I mean, probably before we got it on the schedule, I should say. Absolutely not. Okay. Yes, neither was I. But we got a uh, email last year from Seth, who suggested that we check out Capsize Seven. It was his only suggestion, and it's taken us like six months to get to it. So That's Seth, all we Seth are, had had to say. He he's just, just like, you should check out Capsize Seven later. And I, whatevs. I, and I haven't heard from. He hasn't followed up and been like, "Are you going to review Capsize Seven? <laughs> There's been no. The, uh, was it kinda, uh, was this the email just capsize seven comma whatevs Seth <laughs> something along those lines? <laughs> so, okay, well take it take a listen. So if you're like us and listening to this, you probably are not familiar with capsize seven. So we're gonna start with the history of the band. History of the band. Capsize 7 formed in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in 1991 by guitarist and singer Joe Taylor, guitarist Jeff Abel, or Abel, depending on your emphasis, (laughs) Uh, Mike Jackson on bass, and Chris Toms, appropriately enough, on drums. Wait, Michael Jackson was in this band? No, just Mike Jackson. Oh. You know, um former uh, Cleveland Browns wide receiver, Mike Jackson. Right. 
Yes. Uh, their first album came out on Caroline in 1995, October of 1995. It's called Mephisto, and that is the album we are reviewing. The following year, the band played on the indie stage at Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. They started recording, recording uh, their second album and uh, behind the uh, recording desk or mixing board or however you want to phrase that was Drive Like Jehu drummer Mark Trombino. But before they could release it, Caroline dropped the band. Caroline was nice enough to uh, give the rights back of, to the album to the band. So from 1997 until 2009... The band held on to the label or held on to the to record and finally uh, did a remix. And Joe Taylor started his own record label called Pig Zen Space and released the album Horsefly in 2010. And Joe Taylor is now in the band Blaggard, which you can Google Blaggard. It's B L A G apostrophe A R D. And that is the history of Capsize 7. So I mentioned something that's kind of important, Jay, in the history. They were from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Right. Can you think of some other bands that were from Chapel Hill, North Carolina in the 1990s? Uh, was it Chavez from there? Perhaps. I was also Archers thinking... Archers of Loaf. Archers of Loaf. Is Superchunk from there? Superchunk, Yes. I think Polvo also. Right. So that's quite a, you know, when we think of the 90s, we think of Seattle with all the grunge bands. We think of mm-hmm. Chicago with Veruca Salt and Smashing Pumpkins and Chicago. Urge, Urge Overkill and, and Chicago, of course. Peter Cetera. Peter Cetera. We think of Boston. We think of the Pixies and Buffalo Tom and Dinosaur Jr. Bo- and Sebado. And Boston. And Boston. Every great city has a band named after it. That's our, that is the lesson you are learning here tonight. But we don't necessarily think of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, as being a city of the 90s when it came to music in the same way we think of Seattle, Chicago, or Boston. Um, should it be up there? And what was your opinion of Capsize 7's Mephisto? Yeah, I do think it should be up there. Um this would be our first Chapel Hill band, right? Correct. Um, so I think they fit in with those other bands for sure. Um, at their best, to me, I hear Super Chunk, which I like a lot. Uh, when all the uh, melodic elements come together um, and they tighten up a little bit um, vocally when they add some harmonies and backup parts it helps quite a bit uh the biggest problem though is that well there's two there's two major problems one the production of the album is really a barrier um i don't know if it's completely just because of the copy that we have of it it almost sounds like it was ripped from vinyl i don't know if you've listened closely but between songs start at the beginning and end of songs when there's silence you can still hear like popping sounds and um almost like it's a tape transfer or vinyl transfer so i don't know what's I'll, going on i'll fess up i got this from our our normal source which is i hate the 90s blog yeah uh, I, I wasn't able to uh, find another 
version of it anywhere. So it's not it's not easy to find. So no. however you can get it, you get it. But it was a little it was a little difficult to figure out if the production problems were completely you know, on the record or if they were just an artifact of some bizarre transfer. I'm, I'm going to guess this may have been transferred from vinyl. Um, the, but, you know, as it is, we'll review it as it is. Um, you have to crank it to kind of get any effect of what's going on and, and um, you know, to really hear, hear all the instruments. Um, once you do that, one of the second problem that comes up with the production is the drum sound is horrible. Uh, especially the snare. I, I, I think he's using a piccolo. And Yeah, I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> it's tuned poorly, so you just hear like all of this ringing. Um, so getting over that is a little difficult. Um, the guitars at times are pretty cool. You know, they've got a, got a good like kind of fender fuzz sound to them. Uh, other times they get fairly ugly and it sounds like maybe one of the speakers is blown in a cabin or something. Um, so, I mean, they get, uh, I think even more ragged and loose and garagey than a lot of the bands, the contemporary, their contemporaries that we mentioned previously. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's a de- detriment to them. I think there's some quality songs on here. Uh, so that would be the, the second outside of the production. The second thing that would be, um, a little bit of barriers that, you know, I think half the material here is is pretty good and at least a, a good demo or a good idea uh the other half sounds like you know an immature band that's developing things and you know recording what they have and not necessarily honing great material so um you know my favorites on the album are track one column shifter um despite having a an intro on it that i don't really understand why it's there once it kicks in um, again, it, it kind of reminded me of Guided by Voices or Super Chunk. It, it actually had like um, kind of a classic rock feel to it too, like a like maybe like the Who with how the dynamics work is very bombastic and. Yeah, I made a note um, about the dynamics on that one too. It's, and it's it the kind of makes the song. Yeah, yeah, and it's a style. It, 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 that type of playing actually fits the drummer pretty well. The drummer isn't great, but um, he's best when they're kind of you know playing that who style rhythm where it's you know kind of fast slow a lot of fills just you know pretty busy um he actually is best suited for that Track four, Western, is it Freeze A or Freeze? I think it's Freeze. Um, 
that's a pretty cool song too and that's one of the songs where as i get to that point in the album and this is maybe where you can chime in here and give me a little bit of uh, your feedback i'm at this point trying to kind of put my finger on what the who the singer reminds me of and what he's doing vocally because um you know four songs in you've kind of heard it almost seemed like different voices um sometimes he sings a little bit nasally and kind of high other times he does more of a spoken poetic kind of thing and it's kind of raspy um he sounds familiar but i can't quite figure out who he sounds like and how to make a good even really how to describe his vocal style very well um i think you're right with I think it's because you know this is a first album, and he may not have been as confident in terms of finding where his vocal range was. That when he sings slower, he kind of talks it out, yeah, because he can't really grasp where the melody is, which mm-hmm. can work. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, on some of the slower songs, yeah, he's just sort of like talking, uh, whereas when the energy of the song kicks up and probably the two songs that were the most um, memorable for me were track two Armstrong. It actually has something of a memorable chorus and he's actually singing it. It's uh, he's singing, uh, take me to your spaceman, take me to your spacecraft, take me to your basement. nonsensical but it it actually has something of a you know chorus and a lot of the songs don't necessarily go that way they just have parts it has conv- that at least has conviction right <laughs> they're like this is the chorus damn it um the other song that really stuck with me which was more because of the what the music was doing was track eight the safe uh the guitar lead in that song is really cool it reminded me of it actually reminded me of Sonic Youth um, and some of the stuff yeah. from uh, the Dirty album and, and right around in that era. I don't think you can really talk about this band without mentioning Super Chunk and Archers of Loaf because they definitely are right in that. They're kind of like a less poppy Super Chunk, but a more poppy Polvo because Polvo tended to be more about dynamics and music and 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 throwing the, uh, the math rock around. Yeah. Um, so I think you know they're trying to figure out are they, are they trying to be angular all the time and do a lot of stuff because. 
one of the problems is that, and it, it, this happens on track nine, remote control human, his vocal follows the rhythm and the guitar chords almost st- in step. Yeah. That's not I, necessarily I a good thing because if, you know, if all you're doing is matching rhythm, you're not really, the, the vocals should be, not necessarily it has to be separated, but you should be playing off of what the rhythm's doing. Not like your vocal is changing every time the chord changes and it becomes like static and uh, it just, it leaves like all this room for like, you could have been doing other things. It's almost like you need to like turn off the music and, and just focus on some sort of counter melody and then make the counter melody the, the vocal. Yeah. And they, and they do that on some of the other songs. Um, that was actually one I a song I liked, but um, and I and there were some others I pointed out where they did what you what you're describing. I don't doubt that they do it in that song, but it wasn't as impar- apparent to me. Um, like track eight, it was, and then the song I ate, which I think is like track seven. Yeah, that one's like really bad with that. Yeah, um, and, and honestly, that's kind of. I don't want to see if the the album goes downhill there because there are a couple uh, decent songs sprinkled in at the at the end, but I, I definitely felt like the the first four are the strongest. You know, first four four or five songs are mm-hmm. um, the strongest material, and then they start to I don't know become less concise, less melody oriented, a little more maybe Sonic Youth, or it, it's almost as if there's two songwriters. And sometimes it feels like they want to be like DC hardcore, but they don't have the chopstick to do that. A post-hardcore, and you know that I hear some of that's come through um, from time to time, and that's a little disappointing, just because they just can't do it. So they kind of sound like a garage band trying to play that style of music. Um, and, and again, the when they return back to. Um, being a little bit simpler and um, having being more about the energy and just trying to, you know, find some melodies and hooks and those sorts of things, they they end up sounding pretty good. Uh, what did you think about track five, blasting radios off? Um, I actually thought that the vocals in that song they do a nice job of it's a slower song, but it has a a cool guitar riff that utilizes harmonics. That to me was like sort of like them being able to pull off what they're trying to do in, in bits and pieces of other songs. That's probably their most successful attempt at doing the, the DC post hardcore thing to me. You know, it has mm-hmm. all the harmonics and di- it, the attempt at the dynamics and 
um, even some of the way the background vocals are done um, that are definitely reminiscent of that. You know, it's it it, it, it was it was a pretty decent song. I mean, I, it, once again, I think we're we're looking at an album where if it was four or five songs, we'd be glowing about it. But it's thirteen. <laughs> yeah. Well, the part where it started to lose me was track ten has like a two and a half minute long intro to the song. Yeah, what's going on? And I was that? just like, why is this going on so long? I mean, maybe that was like maybe that was a song that they opened with and that's they sort of like jammed and got into the song and then, you know, it builds and builds and builds, so they're like building energy. But to put it at track ten, it just killed the momentum. I mean, by that yeah. point I was just not interested anymore because it just went on for so long. And two minutes and twenty seconds or two minutes and thirty seconds doesn't seem that like that long. But when you're listening to an album and you're kind of getting the same thing over and over again, and then they just pound it over you, like those last three songs, I don't even have a really good idea of like the differences between them because it just seemed like they were, it was just, I was just tuned out after that. And if it had stopped at like song 10 or song nine, I think it would have been a much more concise and um, would have been a better album. Well, twerk, check. Twack. Twack, twi- Twack 12. <laughs> Twack 12. Track 12, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, I like quite a bit. It's got um, a, a call response verse to it, which I think it's it's in a similar vein as track five that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's a little more sophisticated vocally um, and dynamically. That that is a good song, but I can I understand what you're saying because that that track ten by that point you're in you know in, in the album you're hitting the tail end there and they do a two and a half minute intro which it, the problem with it is it's a completely different song than what they end up going to like the two songs aren't even related right they basically do this intro stop and then they start another riff and it's just one of those things where you know you're probably not going to hear bands do that anymore. <laughs> It's kind of a 90s thing, and you know, I'm sure they at practice they used to do that or live or whatever, and they're like, Well, we'll just do it this way. But it's one of those things where now you wish you just go in and say, Hey guys, um, just go ahead and start the song, or just or split that out and make it its or own put that like, at the end, or yeah, make yeah, it its own like it two minute long interlude between songs. There's so a couple of just songs get into it where the, the intros are shorter, you know, they're not two and a half minutes or whatever, they're even 15 30 15 30 seconds and then they come into the song and it's the same thing where you're just like wow oh, did we really need that little intro part you just sort of got me confused and you know it didn't really relate to what the song is doing <laughs> can you just just get to the riff just get to the hook just get to the the point 
you know mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of that um tacked on the beginnings it, it's just funny like there's moments though where they seem really sophisticated that's why i mean i mentioned it before but it, I, I think i made a note that it struck me that you know maybe there's two different songwriters here there seemed to be a different level of um capability in terms of songwriting and savviness and um, and maybe that was if there's not two songwriters you know maybe they just did a better job at like um, mimicking other you know bands or something and, and mimicking the way that they write songs but there there was a let's see what song was it oh track 12 it actually has an outro which was pretty cool like a you know distinctive part written for the end of the song that's like maybe 20 seconds long you know mm-hmm. and it was just a nice way to a, kind of a sophisticated cool thing to do you know just a way to wrap the song up and um it really worked well and a lot of the songs um you know time wise they're they're in a good ballpark you know a lot of them are in the two uh you know late two minutes barely four minute long song so they got that right Um, yeah they could be obviously i think we're saying they could be trimmed up even more so um they're there's definitely some cool stuff going on here, and it, I think it's a, if you're into the um, Chapel Hill kind of sound, it, it's interesting to, to play these guys, um, you know, in parallel with some of those other bands and see what common common pieces they had and, and see how some of them are different, you know. That's a, that's a good segue into, well, probably an obvious segue into who we think might be interested in listening to this album. Obviously, if you're a fan of Superchunk. In Archers of Loaf, like we mentioned, I, I think this is probably something that you're going to want to listen to. Whether you be able to get your hands on it is another thing. But well, yeah. And what's cool? What I think what's cool about that scene, it's so unique, and there's not very many bands that do what those bands do. You know that they're able to combine um, some melody and, and some pop songwriting sensibilities with. Um, you know, kind of a indie rock, uh, ragged, loose, um, high energy. You know, interesting production. There's not a lot of bands that kind of do that. Uh, no. So, to, <laughs> if you like that sound, I'm sure, like you said, if you're a fan of like Super Chunk, well, there's not a lot of there's not a ton of bands out there that sound like Super Chunk. So, if you want to find some more music that's um, in that ballpark, yeah, definitely this is gonna be a band that you wanna you wanna take a listen to. Another band that I heard that doesn't necessarily fit the category, but in terms of being a modern band, but that had this band had elements of, especially on their slower songs, uh, was the first Sunny Day Real Estate album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually like when I listened to this album, um, not closely, but more from a distance when I was doing other things and mixed in with other things. That was the first band that came to mind, which is strange because when I really analyzed it, I didn't hear it as much. So that that's interesting that you brought that up because I definitely heard it um, initially. It's not as bombastic as you know some of the stuff that they could that Sunny Day could write, but mm-hmm. in ter- in terms of their quieter moments, that's those are the things that really stood out to me. Um, I mentioned the Sonic Youth was had an element. There was an element of Sonic Youth in the one song, but I think overall that's not probably a good comparison based on Sonic Youth's, you know, long history of experimentation, which this band is not really approaching. There was another band which has actually recently gotten to back together 
Uh, I don't know if you listen to them much, but they only put out, I think, one album, which was Slint. Um, kind of an obscure 90s band. I believe they're from Kentucky. Uh, but again, they have this, like, it's like that fractured pop sound where you mm-hmm. know that they can write sort of weird songs and then throw a, a melody on there that can, you know, catch your ear. Yeah, yeah. Besides that, I had a hard time, <laughs> like, drawing uh, comparisons to, to modern yeah. bands. Did you have any it, other? Well, there was, like, uh, there were some aspects of to the Wrens, which is an album that we reviewed already, uh, or one of their albums that we reviewed already. Um, again, in that, I think that the description of Fractured Pop is, is a good one. Um, they're not as a, this is more of a band band. The Wrens is more of a, I think, a, at least what's presented on the record is more of a recorded experience studio experience um it's more like project songs this is more of you know it sounds like four guys playing in a room um the other thing i was going to throw out um that album that you mentioned that they just finished in 2000 or put out in 2010 that is on spotify and uh i sampled it quickly um it definitely sounds way better produced um it sounds crisper it sounds um you know, more contemporary, obviously. It's way more recent. Um, so if people are curious with this, you know, they want to learn more about this band and listen to them, one, you know, thing you could do is go on Spotify and listen to that record. Um, and if you end up liking that, then make the effort to try to find this one. Um, I'm sure it's going to be in the ballpark in terms of uh, overall sound and approach. Yeah, I haven't listened to it, so I'm, I'm interested to check it out. Because I think that's the one thing that it's, and you said it could be the transfer from vinyl if that's the case, but there was definitely parts where I, parts where I was like, "God, that sounds awful!" Like yeah, either it gets like the guitar, either when it's um, overdriven and it's just noise, or when it's like quiet and it sounds incredibly flat. Yeah, <laughs> the the snare drum sounds like uh, you're, somebody's flicking an aluminum can. It's like awful, and there's a couple songs where, like, oh, uh, I think it's actually the last song. He uh, just, it's really fast and just really crazy and kind of off the rails, and he's just playing a thousand snare beats. So it just sounds like somebody's like next to your head, just flicking a tin can. It's just like ding, 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 ding. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the piccolo snare became, for some ungodly reason, popular in the '90s. Well, um, it came. I, I blame it was 311. popular for a, for a, for punk rock because the head is tuned so tight that you can get a loud sound without hitting very hard. So in punk and hardcore, if you're trying to play really fast uh, or even thrash, you can you can actually play. You know, obviously the harder you play or the faster you play, the more difficult it is to play hard. You need to get your hand back and play fast. So they started using piccolo snares for that, so that they could play. You know really really fast unfortunately like the i think the drummers that learn that way and probably this guy you know may you know may, may have learned as a punk rock drummer a hardcore drummer then when they moved into regular bands they just kept that snare drum <laughs> probably uh, the same story as the guy from 311 and uh it's just a it's just not a good sound you know it just it not only by itself is not a good sound but the guitar's and it sound completely distant like they don't meld together in any sort of way they're just completely separate and um 
you know, there are some moments where I think the guitar stuff and the vocal stuff is is pretty good and it's actually pretty cool. Um, but damn, that, the bass is almost you know non-existent, and then you just get that damn piccolo snare. And I don't even you can barely hear the kick drum. It's like not it's completely ir- irrelevant to most of the album. So. All right. Well, we think there's a good EP here, but overall, it's the album's not up to snuff. That's our opinion. Feel free to disagree with us at our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, where, if you are so inclined, you can purchase a Dig Me Out t-shirt. That's right, folks. We have Dig Me Out t-shirts available. We also have, if you uh, don't want merchandise, if you don't want to um, add to your t-shirt collection... We are happy to take a donation. This podcast runs... Are you playing a piccolo snare, Jay? Yeah, but I think that's way deeper than the piccolo snare is. It actually is deeper than the piccolo snare. <laughs> uh, if you can uh, throw a few bucks our way, it will help us to offset our costs of uh, running this podcast, which are in the tens of millions of dollars. That was closer. And uh, Jay will stop playing the piccolo snare. To give you the full effect what it's like to listen to this record, I'm going to flick this can for the entire 30-minute episode. (laughs) That's my review. Yeah. And on that note, (laughs) thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Jay, for joining me. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. feedback join the conversation about this episode visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our facebook page and twitter feed Away.